turmoil and oppression in our spirit, fatigue, weariness, indifference, especially in the troublesome seasons of our life. I suspect that many of you can identify with some of those descriptions this morning. The reality is is that we live and we experience the change around us. We change in the midst of it and then we die. Yet, even in the midst of inevitable change, guaranteed suffering and the promise of death, we have a solid rock upon which to stand. We change constantly, but the true and living God cannot change. He is the rock upon which we stand. I change, he changeth not. Our brother Horatius had that just right, didn't he? Well, the purpose of this topical sermon this morning is this. To declare from the scriptures the glory of the true and living God who cannot change and the blessing that is to his people. I propose to to, uh, preach that this morning under three heads. Number one, God cannot change. Number two, how the God who cannot change relates to his people. And then lastly, how the people of the never changing God should respond to him. Will you read along with me from Psalm 102? I'm going to begin in verse 25 and I'll read all the way through the end of the psalm. Now hear the word of God. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of the word this morning. You'll notice the sermon in a nutshell in verses 27 and verses 28. But you are the same. That means God does not change. Your years have no end. That means that God is eternal. And he says that the children of your servants shall dwell secure. By virtue of the fact that God cannot change, that God is eternal, his people are secure. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we come before you this morning in the humility of those that do change regularly, consistently, and often. We recognize, Father, that we are in the presence of the true and living God who does not change, who cannot change. We pray, Lord, that you would use these words that we've read this morning and this feeble attempt at preaching to bring glory and honor to yourself, to our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would would uh, bless your people, Father, through your word this morning, by your spirit. Amen. First point is this, God cannot change. It's not that God does not change. It is this, it is that God cannot change. He is not capable of changing. He is God. God cannot increase or decrease in the perfections of his glory. He cannot grow in his sovereignty, or he cannot lessen in his self-sufficiency. God is unchangeable. He is invariable. God is permanent in every way. God cannot change in his nature or in his being. He cannot change in his knowledge or his wisdom. 
God cannot change in His holiness or His goodness nor His justice. He cannot change in His truth. He cannot change in His Word. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. He cannot change in His unyielding requirement to be trusted and obeyed. God cannot change in His demand to be worshipped. He cannot change in His hatred of iniquity and sin and transgression. God cannot change in His inflexible and just demand that all sin be punished. He cannot change in His decree that unrepentant sinners will suffer everlasting fire and torment. God is unalterable. God is consistent. God is everlasting. He cannot change in His love and His long-suffering to His people. God cannot change in His mercy and His grace to His people. He cannot change in His purpose to glorify His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God cannot change in His purpose to save His people from their sins through the blood of His Son. God cannot change in His purpose to make those for whom Christ died, His sons and daughters, that, me, that we might be with Him where He is in the bliss of His everlasting glory and in His presence. God cannot change. Amen. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that the true and living God cannot change? Well, the fact that God cannot change is not merely a theological point that makes for an interesting conversation, although many pots of coffee have been consumed. It is likely the most directly applicable attribute of Almighty God to our lives. It is likely the most directly applicable attribute of God to our lives, brother and sister. The fact that God cannot change is the attribute of God that makes Him the rock of our lives in every situation. If God can change, we have no hope and there is no one worthy of our worship. Let me say that again. If God is capable of change, then we have no hope and there is no one worthy of our worship. I want to consider just a few very well-known scriptures, and I want you to consider them with me, and to think about what the consequences would be if the true and living God, who is worthy of all worship and has all glory, could change. In Ephesians chapter 3, he identified himself to Moses. He said, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. There God is declaring His self-existence. God cannot change, but if He could, He would not be self-existent. Also in Psalm 90, Moses tells us this, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The God who cannot change is eternal. If God could change, He would not be eternal. Our God is holy. He is perfect. And He is complete. Isaiah tells us in 
chapter 57, he said, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. God cannot change. For if God could change, He would not be holy. If God could change, He would not be perfect and complete. The true and living God cannot change. Our God is all-wise, and He is all-knowing. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 33 that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. We know for a fact from the Scriptures. And we embrace this. That all that comes is not only known to God, but it's in accordance with His purpose. He is all-wise and He is all-knowing. God does not change. But if He could, He would be less than all-wise in all-knowing. Isaiah tells us again about the power and the fulfillment that God accomplishes with His power, the fulfillment of God's purpose. Our God is all-powerful, and He directs everything that comes into this world, everything that comes into my life, everything that comes into your life, every mote of dust that floats and every drop of rain that falls is purposed by Almighty God. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The purposes of God cannot be thwarted. God's Word accomplishes its purpose. Whatever it is that Almighty God has purposed in my life and yours today will be accomplished. He cannot be frustrated. He cannot be thwarted. But my friend, if Almighty God could change, He would not be the all-powerful God. If Almighty God could change, then absolute fulfillment of His purpose in our lives would be called into question, would it not? God cannot change. Our God is unique. You can take that and go as far as you'd like to with it. There is no end to the uniqueness of Almighty God. Remember the former things of old, He said, For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. If God could change, He would not be unique. As a matter of fact, if God could change, He would be like us, would He not? If God could change, He would not be God. Listen to these words from the God who does not change. For I, the Lord, do not change, we read in Malachi chapter 3. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Almighty God does not change, and He assures, He assures, and He secures the salvation of His people. But if God could change, He could not assure the salvation of His people. Praise God that He does not change. Now, all of the scriptures that I have brought to your memory and commented on so far have in the Old Testament context their primary application to God the Father. But everything that I've just stated is also true of God the Son. He is 
self-existent, isn't he? He is eternal. He is all-wise and all-powerful. And praise God, he has indeed accomplished redemption for his people. Amen? In John chapter 8, Jesus said to those detractors of his who were conspiring to have him murdered, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There was no mistake in their mind about what the Lord Jesus claimed at that moment. He claimed to be Jehovah God in the flesh as he stood before them, and their consequent actions to his statement proved that that's exactly what they understood. They would have killed him at that moment had he not been God. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not self-existent, then he is no savior, and he is not God. Here's a good three-point sermon from Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me, from Hebrews chapter 13. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That speaks to the eternity of our Lord Jesus. If he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He's not eternal, and He's no Savior. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and speaking of the Lord Jesus, he said, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having be, been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. You see, our Lord Jesus is all-wise, and He is all-powerful. And he has saved all his people. We read again in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus entered once into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. I can declare to you this morning on the authority of Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely divine, left his home in glory, was conceived in the womb of the virgin by the power of the Spirit of God, lived a life that was absolutely sinless, went to the cross as the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and the substitute for His people. There He bore the wrath of Almighty God that His people deserved. He put it away once forever with finality, declared that it was finished, dismissed His spirit from His body, experienced physical death. They laid Him in a cold, dark tomb, but he could not stay dead. On the morning of the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ took his life back up. He walked out of the tomb alive forevermore, was seen by upwards of 500 of his disciples in the intervening period, and they stood by undoubtedly slack-jawed as they watched him ascend into the clouds of his Father's glory, where he is seated at God's right hand, living to make intercession for me and you, my brother and sister in Christ, and where he's coming again from very soon to judge the living and the dead. Physically, visibly, in power and glory. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our God is self-existent. He is eternal. He is holy. He is perfect. He is complete. He is unique. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, purposeful, and trustworthy. The loving, merciful, long-suffering, gracious Savior of His people is He. He is the righteous and the wrathful judge of all the rest. He is worthy of all worship and all praise. God cannot change.
The second thing I'd like for us to consider this morning is this, how the God who cannot change relates to his people. I'm sure that you all understand that the subject matter that is before us is worthy of many series of sermons, and it can't be done justice to in 30 or 35 minutes. But the aspect of how the Lord God relates to his people that I'd like for us to consider this morning is the fact that he relates to us eternally. He relates to us eternally. Can you give me a couple examples of that, preacher? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read about the eternal covenant that was established between the Father and the Son before the world ever was. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant. The Lord God relates to His people from eternity past. There has never been a time, my brother and sister, when you were not the apple of God's eye. When you were not closely joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told the Ephesians that before the very foundation of the world, Almighty God placed you in Jesus Christ. Those that Jesus Christ came to save were placed in the beloved Lord Jesus and accepted there by Almighty God before the world ever was. You see, the covenant upon which our security as children of God actually rests is not a covenant that was made with us. It was a covenant that was made between the Father and the Son before they ever spoke this world into existence. God deals with His people in eternity through the eternal covenant. We are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ eternally. Paul wrote the Ephesians, he said, even as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. He did this in love for His Son and for the people that He has given to His Son. The Lord God had dealt with you, my brother and sister in Christ, before this world ever was through the blood of the Lamb that was slain before the very foundation of the world. It's hard for me to get my mind around that, but in the purpose of God, the Lord Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. His blood was shed before the foundation of the world in accordance with God's purpose. Did it take place at that moment in eternal history? No, but in the purpose of God, it might as well have because it was going to happen. God dealt with us in eternity past, through the blood of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. There's some security in that, isn't there? Not only that, I change, He changes not. Not only that, but the never-changing God is in the business of changing His people, isn't He? The never-changing God is in the business of changing His people. After all, we are new creations, aren't we? We've been given a new birth. We've been regenerated, haven't we? That's the Spirit's work in our lives through the Word of God. God continues to change His people by the renewing of our minds, doesn't He? Lord, please renew my mind. Each and every day, may I progress in the renewal of my mind. We are being transformed, the Bible tells us, into the image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another. I suppose we don't have to feel that way for it to be true. 
I don't know that I've ever felt like I was being transformed from one degree of glory to another, but it's true nonetheless. Word of God says that it is. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And then we have this promise, which cannot be broken, that our Lord Jesus is going to transform our lowly bodies into His glorious body, into bodies just like His glorious body. And if that's not enough, the never-changing God gives gifts to His people. He gives us gifts. James tells us that He is the never-changing God, then He gives gifts to us. A scripture that I'm sure you're all familiar with, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God cannot change. And then with regard to our Lord Jesus, Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 4 that when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Brothers and sisters, what I pray that God's Spirit will communicate to all of us in this room this morning is this. That Almighty God has never had any other purpose than this. To accomplish His purpose in my life and in your life as a child of God for His glory and for our good. I know I know, as one of your pastors, that there are many people in this room, in addition to your four pastors, who are suffering from the changes that are going on in life. Maybe your specific circumstance in life is unique to you but the fact that you're suffering as a result of circumstances in life is not unique to you. It doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make it any less painful. But as the sons and daughters of God, as change comes in our life, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we can rest with absolute certainty that the eternal God who cannot change, who has loved us from eternity past, who placed us in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, before the world ever was. Those of us whom the Bible says that God has no condemnation for, but that He is accomplishing His purpose in our lives to glorify Himself and for our own good which among other things includes taking us to be where He is in the presence of His glory. We can rest absolutely certain and assured that whatever it is that change is brought in our life that we're suffering with on this very day, that is under the purposeful, loving, caring, all-wise, all-powerful hand of the God who cannot fail to love us. That blesses my soul to say it, and it blesses my soul to hear it.
I don't want anyone to leave this room thinking that this old preacher in some way minimized the pain and the depth of the anguish that you may be going through as a result of changes that are in your life. No, it's, it's absolutely real. I don't minimize that in any way. And I can't make it go away. But I can give you this assurance that it's serving the purpose of Almighty God for His glory and for our good. Amen? We know that from a lot of different scriptures, but the one I think that testifies to it best to my mind, we find in Romans chapter 8. Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, said, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. He goes on to say that He foreknew us and He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, and that those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. You notice how... how... Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of us being glorified in the past tense. It's so certain that it's going to happen, he can speak of it under the inspiration of God's Spirit as having been done once, forever, with finality. He concludes that thought by saying this, he said, What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So there's a principle that at work there, I think. And one of the things that I want to ask myself as I go through the changes of life and the difficulties of it, what shall I say to these things? What shall I say to these things? And I think the proper response is, I really don't know what to say to these things in most instances. But I can rest assured at this, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then lastly, the Lord Jesus Christ told His disciples in John 15, He said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now that does not mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has loved us as His only begotten Son, who He would send forth to save His people from their sins. What it does mean in its context is this, is that just as the Father has had an eternal relationship with the Son that is characterized by God's love, Jesus said, that's how I love you, my son. That's how I love you, my daughter. Be encouraged, my despairing sister. Be encouraged, my suffering brother. Our God cannot change. He loves you with an everlasting love. He sent his son to die upon the cross to save you from your sins in order that the end of despair and suffering, that he might take you to be where he is with himself in eternity of glory. Amen? Well, lastly, I'd like for us to consider how the people of the never-changing God should respond to Him. How the people of the never-changing God should respond to our God. We need not be plagued with fear and anxiety and doubt. I'm preaching that to me. If it rolls off on some of you, then praise God. I need not be plagued with fear, anxiety, and doubt. If 
you know me well, I need to repeat that to myself often. We need not be plagued with fear, anxiety, and doubt, but we need to live lives. We should live lives. We can live lives that are filled with confidence and certainty and assurance that God's purpose for us cannot be hindered. Let us lay aside the fear and the anxiety and the doubt and live with confidence and certainty and assurity that God's purpose for us cannot be hindered. We need not be overwhelmed with turmoil and weariness and frustration and indecision and oppression. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, isn't it? There's so many things going on. We've got so many responsibilities and the world is changing so fast around us. But we need not be overwhelmed by the turmoil that we're passing through, the weariness that sets in on us, the frustration that comes, our indecision, or the oppression in our soul and in our spirit. We have liberty in Christ to enjoy peace and rest and freedom. The Lord Jesus Christ has established that for us. That in the midst of the storm, we have the liberty to enjoy His rest, His peace, and His freedom. Because we are secure in Him. Because He secures us in Himself. And my brothers and sisters, we need not be crushed by fatigue and indifference and apathy. We may be encouraged, resolved, and determined to take the Word of God to a lost and dying world. When I think about evangelism, I think about how fatiguing it can be. When I think about evangelizing the lost, I think about the indifference that I often encounter, which I confess to you has often led to indifference on my part. And as hard as it is for me to understand how a man or a woman could be apathetic about the everlasting condition of their own soul, it should be even more concerning that I can be apathetic about the condition of lost men's and women's souls. Let me lay aside the fatigue and the indifference and the apathy and be encouraged and resolved and determined to take the Word of God to the lost world. Wherever the Lord takes me, may His Spirit make me sensitive to those that are around me and to the opportunities that He gives me to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a good prayer for all of us. In these constantly changing and uncertain and difficult and all too often painful times, the knowledge that the Lord our God cannot change should encourage us and it should inspire us, brothers and sisters. It should encourage us to be purposeful and intentional and emotional in worshiping our God who cannot change, who is worthy of our worship and who is worthy of of all glory. Let it encourage us to worship Him with a purposefulness and an intentionality that is befitting who He truly is 
and pray that His Spirit creates in us the emotions that should accompany being in the presence of the never-changing God. And our knowledge of the never-changing God should inspire us to live every moment. It should inspire us to live every moment with dedicated passion for the glory of God. To live with dedicated passion for the glory of God. Our God. The God who cannot change. I'll close with a quote from one of my very favorite Christian authors. Arthur Walkington Pink. A.W. Pink. Some of you have heard of him. Maybe many of you haven't. This was his statement. I concur. Mr. Pink said, However unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another thing tomorrow, if he were controlled by caprice, who could confide in him? But all praise to his glorious name, he is ever the same. His purpose is fixed, his will is stable, and his word is sure. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we thank you that your purpose is fixed, that your will is stable that your word is sure, that your son is resurrected, that our sin debt has been paid, that the Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us, that he has commanded us to go and given us the spirit of God to evangelize the lost. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters that are in this room this morning who may be despairing, who are suffering, who may be experiencing confusion about the things that are going on in their life. Father, I pray that they will find much encouragement and much strength and much security in the fact that not only do you not change, you cannot change. You are the eternal, everlasting, unchangeable God. Father, I ask that you would Bless the time that we have had here this morning to the glory of our Lord Jesus, to the good of our souls. Lord, I pray that you would go with us now as we leave this place, that you would give us good fellowship on the parking lot, that you would take us home safely. And Lord, I pray that you would bless each one of us this week with opportunities to engage others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you make us sensitive to those opportunities and would you give us the boldness and the courage that we need to speak clearly about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what He has accomplished, and the need that men and women have for Him. Lord, we thank You for the many blessings that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You for the sure and certain knowledge that He cannot change. And we are secure in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we close today.